Candyman, 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 Candyman. Good morning, Vietnam! I love the smell of great pub in the morning. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. Today's format is going to be slightly different. We're not going to do our usual review and picking a top three of themes and stuff. We're going to do a special on the movie Candyman, the original 1992 version. Basically because the new one is coming out soon and we thought it would be a good idea to review this one and then do a comparison with the new one and see how both films kind of set each other apart over the course of 30 years. Almost, it's a bit of a gap between them. But, uh, and it's a full house tonight in the Scramble Towers. We have Mary and John. Mary, how are you? I'm really good. I'm excited to to discuss this for so many different reasons and so glad to see your two handsome faces. And John, how are you? Well, my handsome face is very glad to be here this evening, obviously. My style team have outdone themselves as normal, but, you know, I don't like to give credit to anybody else apart from myself. But apart from that, yeah, all good, yeah. John's style team has really outdone himself as usual. He's, um, Butler has not, as he gave him a tiny cup of tea, which <laughs> he was drinking from earlier. But unfortunately, poor John actually genuinely thought this uh, cup was a normal size cup, and it's poor we've all to be shattered. But yeah, we're going to be discussing the 1992 film Candyman. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror, you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman. They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. Directed by Bernard Rose, starring Virginia Madsen, Tony Todd, and Xander Berkeley. The movie is based on the Clive Barker short story, The Forbidden. And Clive Barker's uh, stories have all been kind of hit and miss when it came to hitting the big screen. Hellraiser has been a very great example of a good one. Nightbreed, a very kind of controversial one. Lord of Illusion, very underrated one. And Candyman, which a lot of people really, really like. But after Mary's conversation in the group chat, this could be an interesting discussion. The movie centers around the urban legend of the Candyman and a Chicago graduate. Uh, played by Virginia Madsen, who is investigating the legend of the Candyman, who has been hanging about the Cabrini Green's public housing development in Chicago and allegedly been murdering people and maiming them. So as she investigates the legend of the Candyman, she accidentally summons, well, unwillingly summons, I should say, the tragic spirit himself, who seems to have an unhealthy obsession with her and goes to some great lengths to prove his love for her. Mary is dying to speak. Here, but I'm going to have John speak first. I'm not dying to speak. I just need to laugh. John, oh, what's your thoughts on Candyman? Did you see it first time around? You've watched it again recently. I actually didn't see it first time around. It was one of these films that just kind of passed me by. I'd heard about it when it came out, but I sort of took it very negatively in that. To me, it just sounded like another sort of slasher type film which basically had been all through the 80s and early 90s and I was kind of fed up 
with these type of films. I just gave it a pass and didn't bother with it at all. It was only when you were talking about it and gave me a few ideas about what the film was actually about, I thought I'd go back and have a look at it. So it was actually last year I gave it a watch for the first time in sort of preparation for the new film coming out. And I was surprised by it. I didn't think I would like it, but I did actually like it. It's not a traditional horror in by any means, which was the first thing that kind of really stood out to me. Like we've mentioned before with our discussions in horror films, it's, it's mainly set during the day. So there's that sort of difference in it. It's not shot like a normal horror film and the pacing is totally different to a, a horror film as well. So in that respect, yes, I was quite intrigued by it. The story was good enough that it kind of held my attention for the whole film and there was some pretty decent performances there as well. There's a couple of ropey performances, but that's you know that's kind of standard for films. But the sort of principles come across really well, and yeah, I I actually quite enjoyed it. I surprised myself, but yes, I did actually quite enjoy it. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned the fact that it's not like a traditional horror in many ways. That it kind of breaks some of the horror rules. We set during the day, for example. It's not a high body count either for a slasher movie. There's not no. a lot of actual deaths and on-screen deaths in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe you're a, the sorry. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it has quite a low body count. It's more your body count is sort of spoken about rather than actually shown on screen. You're you're told that there's all these victims, but you don't see very many of them at all. And you, I don't think at any point you really see his sort of signature move, the sort of the the, the groin to the the, the neck. You, you see bits and pieces of it, but you don't see what the signature move of the Candyman actually is, which, thinking back on it, you think, well, that's, that's a bit different as well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of gore in the movie, but when you do get the violence, it is pretty bloody. The kills himself. Mm-hmm. Mary, you're dying to talk. I swear. <laughs> I just, I think I went into expecting, like, a proper slasher. Like, you would see all the violence, it would be very tense. And I think what I got was two well-executed jump scares where I did actually jump and go, oh, God, that was quite scary. The rest of it, I just felt like none of it made sense to me. Right, She's got this ugly husband that's meant to be like the pure stud lecturer that all of the students want to bang. Do none of the students have eyes? Every time she sees the candy man, this weird Morticia Adams strip lighting comes across her face and she's like hypnotized by him. He's dressed like a pimp, even though it's meant he's meant to be a ghost from the 18th century or whatever it is. And like in amongst all of this, like this meant to be this really scary like guy who's terrorizing even these hardened criminals on a on an estate. It's like they're they tried to shoot in this weird love story. I just I pissed myself laughing so often at this and then the absolute tin lid in it was when she crawled out the bonfire with only a few tufts of hair left but flawless makeup i was like right guys i am done <laughs> we all be spoiling this film by the way in case anybody sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no i think it's i think i think it's okay spoil spoil because i think it i think it's gonna kind of film that it's, it's, it's 30 years old. Well, doing a special, it's not usually kind of podcast, so a uh, spoiler warning if you haven't seen it. But that's the thing, it's like the, the thing you were kind of finding kind of laughing, the thing that they've shoehorned in a love story. I disagree, I think they've shoehorned in a slasher movie into a gothic romance. Oh, I never even thought about it that way, but I think you're actually right. The whole movie, I mean, the whole idea of the movie is it's like um, 
there's somebody on the estate of Kabuna Green. It's a very socially political movie. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody on the estate uh, calling himself Candyman. And he's carrying a hook. And he basically, it's like a gangster. He's a, he's a ganger. He's a gangbanger, whatever you want to call him. And she gets him arrested. So people stop being scared of the Candyman. In turn, the legend starts to die. And people stop fearing him. So it starts haunting her because she resurrected him by saying his name five times in the mirror. But it, it kind of hints, it's kind of it actually explains it or not, how subtle it was. But she seems to be the reincarnated spirit mm-hmm. of his long lost love. Hence why he wants to kill her and be together with her forever. So he's trying to ruin her life in a way. So she'll willingly die. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Afterlife. Yeah. I must admit, one thing that I thought when I was watching it, because obviously she keeps either like waking up covered in blood or she gets confused and she's standing with a knife in her hand and like the people around her are dropping like flies. What it actually made me think of was, I wonder if Lee Winnell got like ideas for this for the Invisible Man because obviously she was getting the blame for crimes mm. she didn't commit and there's also the, the knife scene in, in the restaurant and that and I thought, I wonder if that's maybe where he's picked it up from. So that was probably one of the more interesting elements of the film but I guess, yeah, I just felt the kind of romance slime was a bit corny i don't i don't know i mean i i think i went into this expecting a totally different film and i think that's why i found it so hilarious uh, that's fair enough like i said it's like um, interesting enough uh, philip glass who done the score expected the kind of film that you watched but he thought it was just a, a low budget slasher and mm-hmm. was disappointed by it but the score that's really interesting as well it's it's john was saying it's not a conventional horror movie and i think for me that's why it really was now i watched this film and i was way too young and it terrified me Tony Todd is a Candyman terrifying me. You're talking about kind of jump scares. I think the one you're talking about specifically is near the beginning of the movie. When you're... No? No, actually, the what because I was kind of anticipating that one. The one mm. that really made me was when she shut her bathroom mirror and there was nothing there, and then she walked away and two seconds later he jumps through it. And I was like, oh fuck, I wasn't expecting that. Mirrors. That's that that's the horror trope, but I thought this one was executed quite well. Yeah. Yep. I was interested with the score, like you say, because the score was like very gothic and very in your face there was nothing subtle about it whatsoever but i i actually thought it it fitted really well because it didn't do the usual thing of the score underlying tension in any way or building it up and you didn't get any of this like quiet quiet bang stuff like say there wasn't that many Uh jump scares things like that it just didn't feel like that type of film and i know we're all kind of conditioned to you know look out for these things though and part of it is to do with the soundtrack and you just didn't get it it was just kind of full on in your face it was just it was almost like the the, the mad organist kind of idea as well and it was, it was like yeah it was like a choral element to it and all this as well so yeah it was, it was very very interesting i think one of the things as well it's it's, it's a very ambitious movie because if they made that but well, they have made that film now so it'll be interesting to see what it's like but i think if they're making this film for the first time now and maybe it wasn't like a, a good production company. They'd be like, right, tone down all these kind of more obscure areas of it and focus more on the slash. Like the sequels, for example, do that. Focus more on this kind of slasher element to it. And it's mm-hmm. just not as effective. What I think with this, the idea is he's not in the movie much. Doesn't kill a lot of people. You don't see him kill a lot of people. But when he does appear, I think it's really effective. And his voice is very interesting. When you do see him, it's kind of in broad daylight, just walking about. He doesn't hide in the shadows mm-hmm. and he stalks her. It's just it's a very interesting idea for a, a movie monster. He doesn't move about an awful lot either. He doesn't no. give an awful lot away. In that sort of respect, he reminded me of 
Hannibal Lecter because he's quite still. He's using the power of his voice and just his presence more than anything else, which is kind of refreshing. There's no need for him to be over the top. Mind you, he does, he does have his moments, obviously. But again, he, di- he didn't use his hook with when he actually killed somebody. He ended up using a knife, which I thought was a bit bizarre since he had a bloody hook attached to him. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the way of it. I know what you mean about how it would be different now if you if the film or well if the film was made and toning down certain elements because it spent the best part of about thirty minutes sort of underlying the tensions within the city and the the fact mm-hmm. that it was like the housing projects and the the building that she actually lived in was originally designated as that type of building yet and they just like sort of done it up and sold it to the white people you know and they they worked out that. It had to be done that way because there was no. They, they talk about natural barriers in this film as well. Like between the the Cabrini Green housing projects, there there was natural barriers between like the middle of the city and things like that. There's like a freeway and maybe a river. I can't mention the river as well. So therefore, it was kind of cut off and isolated. So that's where you put poorer people, and obviously the poorer people in this film were the, the blacks. Obviously, because they were the ones that it, it, I think it was like a plantation and all that as well. They were talking about, or there was that's the kind of area that they all lived in originally. So it, it followed through and all that as well. I, th- I found that quite interesting, and it took its time building this up. It spent an awful lot of time talking with like people talking about the legend. So she talked to the cleaners, and then yeah, for and it was a wee bit like sort of. I know we go on a bit of exposition as well, but there was a sort of expositional element of it where, so so tell me about the Candyman, you know, and you get out of the background and then she was speaking to the other professor, you know, the, the fat white guy with the long hair. Uh, he looked like a sort of faded member of like, like Chicago or uh, Journey or something like that, you know. <laughs> he looked like an old rocker. He was explaining, you know. Yeah. And it's so you know it's almost it was explaining in a way that was kind of putting her down at the same time, mm-hmm. which I I found quite interesting because all through the film she wasn't taken seriously by any sort of figure of authority. The only one that actually took any notice of her was the policeman at first, because she was a witness. But then when she was being accused, it was just a case of oh, she's a hysterical woman, you know, put her in mm-hmm. put her in restraints. And don't believe her, you know. So and, she was and that's, put down. That's where so much of it. I was thinking this is almost identical to mm-hmm. the Elizabeth Moss character that's been an invisible man. And in that sense, like it's a very socially conscious film. Like she's literally in her ivory tower in the nice bit of the the city, and you know she is. She has no experience of you know she's a university professor, presumably someone who's very educated, obviously has a good life, money, etc. And she goes into these apartments and. Those apartments are horrifying for her because it's not what she's used to, and yet the irony is they're identical to to her building, even in the way they've got the obviously the links between the, the apartments and stuff like that, which they point out quite early on in the film. But I just, I, it felt like almost like three separate films in in that case. So like if they was going to do like a, a like a socially conscious narrative, that was really interesting, but it never quite got deep enough. There was a slash of elements but they never really went into that either and then there was this kind of gothic romance and I'm okay with that as well but I just didn't feel like the three really worked together they were too too separate in what they wanted to achieve all these different narrative strands yeah I disagree but I agree uh I, I understand your point I should say and 
you kind of felt it was quite jarring in that case then? Mm-hmm. It, it definitely felt like I was watching, I mean, three different films where everyone was fully committed and they were really going for it, but it just didn't, none of it kind of melded together for me. And there was like different elements of those storylines that I wanted to see more of that I didn't get. And because I was expecting a slasher, and as Jonas quite rightly points out, the body count's really low. I didn't get that either. And I didn't really get much more of the, I, it just, it didn't work for me. And, and, and in that sense, I'm intrigued to see what this new film is because I don't know, I, I mean, is it a sequel? Is it a prequel? Is it a remake? I've no idea. I'm, I'm keen to see what it does with the with all the different strands. From what I've seen for the trailer, it seems to have a different basis of the Candyman legend. Right. But I don't think it discounts the history of this one. Okay. Because so, there would have been sequels if, to this one as well, but... Yeah. The, the second one from memory wasn't too bad. It kind of goes into a lot more of the kind of history and the, the origin mm-hmm. of them. But the third one was, tr- was terrible. <laughs> you're, you're, the ex- you're the expert on the horror sequels. So. Yes. Uh, I do think the new one looks really good, though. Um, looking forward to it, and I think they will be a lot more focused on the social element of it. Not that I didn't feel this was, but it was a different time, and there wasn't as much of a spotlight on it there is now, and I think they'll highlight that a lot more. 92, when were the Rodney King riots? That's that point, about the same time? I would argue this is probably quite a peak time for, for that sort of thing. I suppose, um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose in terms of like what they get away with in terms of like a, a white a white filmmaker called Bernard Rose trying to highlight yeah, social, no. you know, it's that kind of idea compared yeah, to and I, the current production team. No, and I, and I do get that. And obviously if there were maybe more black voices involved in the film, it, it, it would look and sound different. Although I read, and I don't know if this is just one of these kind of crap things, but is the book not set in Liverpool, but they yeah. just, moved it i haven't read it it's a short story i think it's in the books of blood uh, collection and it's more about a kind of social working class element in liverpool mm-hmm. which was then um, swapped for mm-hmm. chicago and kind of focused on housing projects so the themes i mean the, the story's origins it's got that kind of social injustice in it mm-hmm. and i'm just really looking forward to all these really hot takes about how Candyman is some woke trash the new one mm-hmm. where people have no idea of what the actual story is about type idea because yeah. yeah. you know it's coming oh absolutely and the one thing i would say is that did kind of apart from the, the obvious sort of invisible man sort of comparisons i could draw i thought it was quite interesting that that it was it was a sort of urban legend and then it became a real gangster or whatever you want to call it sort of picked up that persona and started terrifying people that way so there always was this fear but it always was real as well it just was being executed if you'll pardon the pun in, in different ways that was quite interesting but again I just I felt like there was too much going on all getting snuffed together and not much of it was as I say I, I did laugh quite a lot which is not usual for me and in, in one of these types of films it really isn't. It's interesting with the, kind of the social elements of it especially the kind of racial elements in that time uh, the director was concerned there was going to be some controversy over depicting racial stereotypes and he had to go to like all these meetings with the NAACP because the producers saw it the producers were worried that it was going to be controversial. So maybe, yeah, it was. There's a socially conscious element of it in the production, mm-hmm. but I don't think they were looking to spotlight at, the issues at, in the same way they would now. At the same time, there's a socially conscious element of it, right? And it does really expose this kind of black white divide in the city at the time. But also, you've got this kind of quite racist stereotype then of a black man pursuing a white woman, like in all these sort of like, you know, 
racist narratives it's like all oh, black men are coming after our women well this kind of delivers that narrative on a plate which is interesting in a film that's actually going to have its way to highlight social injustices but also interesting the fact that that's the crux of the movie that he was murdered for being a black man and love a white woman so then know, it, comes, but, it, comes, it comes full circle yeah, in a way yeah yeah it absolutely does i just i for a film but for you could almost sort of gloss over the origins if you're just looking purely at the visuals yeah. it's not a very balanced narrative in that sense i guess but yeah it all got a bit like you were saying about the choral elements of the music i started feeling it got a bit phantom of the opera at the end especially when they were like sort of dancing around each other and stuff like that and i just i don't know it just it totally wasn't what i was expecting so i'm quite excited to see the new one to see if it if it's a if it's a more conventional horror that's not to say i don't appreciate films that sort of play with their their genre types it's just i bizarre yeah you could tell that quite a lot of it was done in a sound stage rather than on location i think it did a couple of days in location in chicago but the rest of the time it was obviously within the sort of studio and you can mm -hmm. tell with the apartment setups and all that it was just something it was just a wee bit you could tell it was stagey it was it was it was built that sort of way it was it, it used certain cliches you know they, they thought right well make, how did we make this grimy well we'll put graffiti everywhere that kind of idea you know yeah. well the, but that element of it the sweets for my sweet kind of thing was quite good I, I thought that was quite a nice wee phrase that they obviously had everywhere obviously it was written uh, graffiti wise or it was written in shit <laughs> depending <laughs> on the location <laughs> yes that bathroom was the scariest thing in it because when she ended up in the floor i was like i'd be wanting a tetanus because god knows what's on that floor <laughs> like it was grim Absolutely. you're not going to get that out of your skirt hen obviously the film was set, set the film was, was made in the early 90s so any cgi was going to look really really bad and the film doesn't really rely on that it doesn't play on that including the bees which were real that i read that afterwards and that really scared like apparently he wore a mouth guard but even still no fucking mouth guard's gonna get me putting that many bees in my mouth jesus christ apparently in his contract for every bee stung he got he got like a grand and was stung was like 23 times oh god but in his mouth though how would he have any face sure left in the mouth as such but it's, yeah on his face they, they, they reckon that just about everybody within the production got at least one bee sting in their face Oh my god, he must have looked like he had really bad filler. His face must have been out to here. Jeez, oh. And was that like, did he know that before he signed up to this film? Yep. Yeah, he's like, yeah, put, put in my contract, I'm getting paid if I'm getting stung. Oh, wee. Apparently, um, it was a particular type of bee that supposedly shouldn't really have stingers, but obviously, there will be ones in there because it was thousands of bees, wasn't it? It wasn't just like a couple of hundred. They were all over the place. I was really impressed with that sequence. Just. It took its time and you could see the bees just coming out really slowly that's why i, I didn't think it i think it must have been cg'd but obviously it wasn't when i'm same as you I, I read about it later and i thought my god that must have been horrendous to do that just just preparing you know hey tony how... just another 40 bees and you'll be set you know oh. <laughs> <laughs> how do you though how do you and somebody's like guarantee i'll oh, just put this mouth guard and it'll be fine and you can just hear them all like buzzing there's mm -hmm. Did other actors, I don't, I mean, I don't know this, did other actors turn this part down? Because I imagine a lot of people were like, as soon as they heard about the bees bit, they were like, I'm out. Do you know who, this, this is an interesting one, who was uh, original in the running to play Candyman, but they found him too short of all things? Eddie Murphy. 
For it, perhaps. That'd be a totally different film, surely. Ah, yeah. You, you wouldn't have bizarre. taken the character seriously at all. No. 1992, Beverly Hills Cop, things like Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you, how you do that. That's bizarre. I mean, I understand the short thing almost because he's meant to be a big sort of imposing character, yeah. but to me, just tonally, would it just been the wrong choice? I, I, I just don't get it myself, personally. <laughs> But hey, it's been an interesting film. And Sandra Bullock was almost in it. And this is this is pre-speed as well, so she would oh. have been as well known. If Virginia, if Virginia Madsen didn't, get the, uh, didn't agree, Sandra Bullock was apparently waiting in the wings to take it. I don't know Sandra Bullock at that. that so you've got Sandra Bullock and Eddie Murphy in this movie in a parallel universe. That, that's actually strange to think of, isn't it? I just, I mean, I actually thought that Virginia Madsen was quite hammy in this especially the as i say when like the light sort of when she was allegedly being hypnotized from him i just i was a wee bit chewing the scenery slightly interesting you mentioned that because they actually did hypnotize her on set and it made her feel really uncomfortable when she got to stop it they gave her a trigger with her consent i assume so and they gave her a trigger so when you see her kind of spaced out in that I don't know what scenes were filmed about hypnotizing, what scenes were filmed when she told them to stop doing it, but they were doing it for real. That feels borderline abusive. I don't know. It just feels like you're filming someone in a vulnerable state. That just feels a bit that yeah, that's strange. The nineties were that... wild. Yeah. yeah. See the whole the, the letterbox eyes thing. Do you think yeah, that yeah, was yeah. A, a reference back to sort of the original sort of hammer horror where Dracula would hypnotize his victims uh, that's what it kind of stood out so it's almost like the, there was there's sort of two instances we see that sort of effect is mm-hmm. sometimes in like a melodrama where mm-hmm. uh, she meets her bow and then it's just focusing on the eyes and other times it's this, this sort of very specialized horror thing as well and they, they weren't shy about doing it they did it a number of times within the film didn't they yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I my sort of frame of reference for that was Morticia Adams, but you're you're right; they do that a lot, and and also even like if you guys watch True Blood, the glamouring, like that was, and it's yeah. very much focused on the eyes and stuff like that. I just again, I felt like that just seemed a bit, but then the whole film is quite because it's. I feel like again, it's trying to be like quite camp in some ways, like the way he was dressed and that whole like the hypnotizing thing. But other, it's often just kind of hard hitting like social commentary. Like, there's just so much of it that kind of jars for me. The more I'm talking about it, the more. I'm like, what the fuck did I watch? There was definitely a lot of different kind of elements play in the movie. I think you imagine it added Eddie Murphy to that as well. It, it it would have been a completely different role because if you think about him at the time, he was a very physical actor. Mm-hmm. You know, and his performances are very physical and it's like physical comedy he was doing as well. But it would have been totally different film. He'd have been all, yay, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm going to check Eddie Murphy in 1992 to see what he was actually up to at this stage. Uh, uh, so, was Tony Todd, was he an unknown then? I feel like I know nothing about I, this. I believe, he's quite I believe unknown. so. Because he's very, like, I feel like he's got a very distinct face and a very distinct voice. And I'm like, but is this is this all he's done? Is he just the Candyman and that's it? Or is he, was he did, had he done other stuff before? Or Because he's quite quite a presence for all that I'm yeah, laughing at his coat. Um, so, 1989, Eddie Murphy was in Harlem Nights. 1990, another 48 hours. In 92, I don't know if it's the Candyman range, but he done Boomerang, this thing with Gentlemen. So, I've not seen Harlem Nights, to be fair, but coming off another 48 hours to do Candyman. 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. Are we kind of maybe looking at Ed Murphy too much in a kind of retrospect post mid nineties type yeah. idea? Mm-hmm. And could he could mm-hmm. he have pulled this off actually in retrospect? Yeah, because he was kind of done with Beverly Hills Cop at that point. And like you say, like those films are more serious and actorly rather than frivolous. I don't want to say frivolous, so you know. No, but you know, I know what you mean. Not in a bad way, but yes, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not Norbert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm having me look at. No, I was going to say, anytime I think of Eddie Murphy, I just think of Donkey from Shrek as well. So I'm just like, I can't have Donkey from Shrek being this like mass murderer with a hook with a hand. Oh man, that is wild. That's absolutely wild. Sandra Bullock, I can totally get on board with because she's good at everything, right? But I just, I also just, uh, the chemistry between them is weird as well. I just, I I don't know what I watched. I just feel like I was in the Twilight Zone for a I do love uh, Tony Todd in this. Uh, but I'll also love him in Final Destination. Yeah, he's so good in that. Mm-hmm. And it's such a random role. He just he just pops up to explain the plot. I know we'll talk about this before the pod and that. Like, really bad exposition. This isn't it. This is just, like, it's really false exposition. It makes no sense in the context of the plot. Why does this strange mortician know all this stuff about death? Is he really death? But it's still pretty cool. He's a really cool voice. He does have a very, a very rich... Well, like you could understand why that was meant to sort of hypnotize her and stuff like that because it's very rich and very warm and just sort of quite inviting but for a, for a serial killer or a dead serial killer he's like he's not even alive so yeah i didn't realize this actually um i knew that it was in the night of the living dead remake but i didn't realize it predated Candyman. Oh, okay. oh well, that's what i was asking like was he known for anything because i feel like he has a very distinct voice and face but i don't really feel like i've seen him in anything apart from this now I am still going to say what I mean. You can look at all that kind of TV stuff, small parts in films. It's in Platoon, for example, which I think I remember him in. Did I think about it? Uh, it was in it was in Star Trek for a few episodes, Next Generation. But yeah, I would say Candyman was definitely his, his big role. I mean, Night of the Living Dead remake was that really a big enough hit to say, oh, that's Tony Todd from that film? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say so. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, and of course they popped up in Wishmaster, didn't they? As well. So he did. Yeah. Did like a wee cameo role, which we obviously covered previously. So look back in the archives, folks, for for that discussion. If you really want to be, <laughs> if you really do want to be terrorised, yeah, <laughs> a discussion of Wishmaster one to four. Yeah, oh God, why is there always so many of these films? <laughs> I actually forgot it was a fourth one. There, they're getting flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. There was one part of this film, and I, I didn't think they were kind of up for me. I just you're talking about the tonal element. Many and uh, for me, I, I didn't think it was a lot of jarring. But the scene when he murders the psychiatrist in the office and flies out the window yes. just seemed a bit over the top to me. Is it because you could see the straps? Because that really distracted well, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just kind of felt it's like everything up to the film that point was really kind of subtle in what he did. And it was kind of off screen and stuff. And then he appears and butchers this guy, frees her, and flies out the window. And it's like, how? I mean, obviously, they're not going to believe some evil spirit has appeared and did all this. Mm-hmm. But it's very unlikely that she did it. Well, no, because her track record, as far as the psychiatry ward are concerned, is that she's murdered her husband and his mistress, and she's broken free of these shackles, and she's murdered. Because obviously, when they show you the, again, sort of talk about exposition, they show you on that CCTV that when she was sort of writhing about in the bed and saying, "Oh, like he's under the bed mm-hmm. or whatever," when they look back on the CCTV, there's obviously nothing there, but. 
yeah, I mean, you could literally see the harness taken out the window. So it was another kit. That was another moment that I did sort of laugh at as well. Had a wee chuckle. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the bit just after that got me because obviously she goes out the window herself, goes along to the next room and taps on the glass to get back. And of course, the nurse that's actually in the room, her first thought isn't, well, why is there somebody outside? <laughs> Maybe I should get some help. Her first thought is, yeah, I'll just let her in, you know. <laughs> I know. Oh, no yeah. thought that I have this might be a patient I should probably go and get yeah. someone <laughs> so I did also love as well when she goes back to the to her apartment and oh, shock horror it's been redecorated by the student who's moved in and she's painted it all Barbie pink because she's a young girl and what other color could a young girl want for her entire apartment I just that whole storyline, like her husband was not attractive. Like he was, he just seemed really boring and he was wearing like literally the university professor's uniform of like cords and a check shirt. Why would this young girl who was not wearing a bra and it was definitely cold in that apartment, why would she be throwing herself at this old guy? <laughs> See, the thing is though, I have seen stuff like that in real life with really pretty girls falling for the kind of college professors and stuff just because they're older guys. I'm like, uh, somebody I used to know. Used to go out with our old college professor, and I'm kind of looking at him, looking at her, then looking back at him, looking at her, and going, "Yeah, that, that that's not that far fetched." Although the idea of a best being a kind of like stud, it's quite funny. But <laughs> yeah, it was just clearly the fact that he's an older man of privilege and power, I suppose. Oh, that knowledge like is just so attractive. I do like that scene when, he, when she goes back to the room, though, because uh, I think she plays it really well. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so she's plays it something like a psychotic breakdown, which clearly she is because he's been tormented by a, a vengeful spirit. But I think that scene's really unnerving, and she just throws a paint on the wall and leaves. I think that's great. Yeah, she doesn't even do it sort of paint first, she just throws the can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something quite, I don't know, authentic about the throw. It's just... Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's kind of crappy. It's not this like perfect like paint splatter. splatter. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that, as I say, that's one of the more interesting elements of the film for me because I was drawing a lot of comparisons to the invisible man and you know she's lost all sense of time because she asks you know how long have i been in here and then she comes home and obviously the biggest betrayal is when she's getting hauled off and she's trying to phone her man to bail her out at three in the morning he's not in their bed because he's out studying and marking papers obviously (laughs) (laughs) he's out dishing out his and these that's absolutely fucking cracking brilliant yeah, I was also wondering though, like, it, like it's not like he's got a job, like, like a police or something like that, where he's to be like on shifts. Like, what possible excuse could a university professor have for being out all night that she's just like, oh sure, hun, and doesn't su- suspect an affair? Well, she does kind of at the beginning when she meets the the student, yeah. but she just kind of accepts that he sort of like doesn't come home sometimes. It's all very bizarre because yeah. he's such a stud. Like, if he could have got, surely there were some attractive actors available that could have played that part. He was like, his hairline was like back here, and he literally was wearing like cords and tweet. Xander Bertley's one of his actors has always looked that age. Even now, he looks <laughs> that age. He just. Oh, dear. No, maybe, I mean. Maybe that, maybe that was a point, because he did, he did look like a college professor. He did look like a university professor. He did look the part. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it made more sense the idea that if you had them kind of looking really kind of suave and handsome and stuff, it would have been a bit too Hollywood, because it was something very. No, there's nothing glamorous about this movie. I was just about to say, actually, on the whole, it's quite an unglamorous movie. So maybe that he, it would have been ridiculous. You're right to have somebody who was because not because even Virginia Madsen isn't like. I mean, she's well dressed and she's like fashionable for the time, but she's not like super super glamorous. 
either. Yeah. And she smokes as well on screen. Oh, everyone was smoking like crazy in that film. It was like they barely finished one cigarette before they were lighting up another. It was I was quite surprised to see that. Because I just I know that obviously if you watch like film noirs and stuff like that, they're constantly smoking, but I guess I'm kind of in more modern films you don't really see that so often. So I guess no, I was kind of surprised by yeah. And there was one bit in it as well, which uh, actually made me chuckle. It was quite late on. And she was sitting, she, I think she was going through the slides and she pulls out a cigarette, but she pulls out from a cigarette purse. It's like a wee purse. And that's a, that's a very sort of, I, I don't know about anywhere else, but it seems like a very sort of West of Scotland thing that you you get a purse for your cigarettes because it's, it's just the right size for the Super Kings, you know, that you can put in there. <laughs> we honestly, fun fact, we used to sell him in Watt Brothers and we grannies would come in and buy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine like Candyman being relocated to like Glasgow and set in Poso or something like that? <laughs> well, I must admit, I was intrigued by this whole idea that the, the book was set in, in Liverpool. And I was like, I wonder why they changed the location, because you could have had an interesting sort of dynamic there as well. So yeah, I mean, I suppose it's just that kind of way that people are more likely to go and see a film set in America than they are yeah. set in Liverpool, unfortunately. It's the same with the John Constant- the Constantine movie mm-hmm. that Keanu Reeves was in. That was basically the reason for the change, to where we think more people will go and see a film set in America than set in the UK. Interesting. Yep. Just because it has become this sort of, like, I would say that the, for all that he's not actually in this movie that, that much and obviously doesn't come into the movie until quite late on, I would say he's one of the kind of iconic horror villains and you think of him as quite american and that sort of realization and then when i read afterwards that it was originally set in the uk i was like oh that kind of i wonder how that's come about but you're right actually like the whole idea of yeah nobody's gonna see nobody's gonna go watch a film in in liverpool it would have sounded so different though it would have been been amazing (laughs) go and give us your best ghost accent maybe oh i can like i've been uh when i was working through one of the podcasts i think it was the psycho and frenzy one and it was thomas of a thousand voices that were <laughs> we were having a good laugh at because you get you kept doing these cockney accents yes, so you did. oh yeah right. if anything it should be you that uh, exactly has a good go at it. how about the remake of film <laughs> put it back in liverpool which is fine danny yeah. dyer plays Candyman. oh man Oh, I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say Stephen Graham because it's liver because it was set in Liverpool. That would have been equally impressive. He's too small. <laughs> that's the that's the only criteria. You're just too short, mate. If Murphy's too small, Stephen Graham too small. But I want to see. Uh, I, I want to see. I told you I'd want to see Dad Dad recast in every movie. It was one role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That should be a uh, that should be a game for the next podcast. The extended yeah. diverse. Get people on social media to recast any movie of their choice, but Danny Dyer has to play one of the parts. It can be a lead part, it can be a supporting part, a bit part, whatever, but Danny Dyer has to be in the movie at some point at the expense of an actor. I've already told you my choice. I would recast Liam Neeson in Schindler's List. I would have Danny Dyer take it, take it on Hitler. <laughs> now I'm thinking maybe like Glorious Bastards, but rather than Eli Roth, or rather than Brad Pitt, it's, it's Danny Dyer. <laughs> I was thinking something more classic, like uh, taking on the Barbara Streisand role in Yentl. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> That's a stunning bit of work. How do you not have a casting agency? Oh my god. <laughs> I, I, I can't even think of any film that wouldn't be made better by just having Danny Dyer in it somewhere. Same mug. <laughs> He's done a couple of horrors, has he not? What's that one? I'm going to say the wrong Is it Seven? Is that a horror? Seven. That's more like a horror comedy type idea. Yeah. 
I don't know dirty how we've dancing. got onto him, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Dirty, dirty Dancing starring Danny Dyer. <laughs> yeah, as Baby. I, yeah. I was going to say, as Johnny or Baby, yeah. <laughs> Nobody puts Danny in a corner. Yeah. God. Do you know what actually would work? Bizarrely enough, a clockwork orange. Aye. <laughs> Remake a clockwork that. orange with Danny Dyer. Although I suppose it's a bit old now. Danny, if you're listening, we've got big ideas for you, mate. Your career's going places. Yeah, get your, get your people to talk to your people. <laughs> make the magic happen. So, do we have any more thoughts on Candyman then? Mm, no, I'm pretty much done. Think Only that I'm intrigued to see what Nia da Costa does. That's, I'm intrigued. I am also very intrigued and I'm very looking forward to it as well. This is a movie, the new one is a film I have out my way to avoid seeing trailers for. Me too. And I seen a trailer the other week in a cinema for it, and I thought this looks brilliant. It just looked really, really good. And but I, I, I see a teaser trailer last year when it was supposed to come out, and I, thought, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure about it. I don't know. There was something about it. I'm like, I don't know. I felt they were leaning too much in the horror side of it. As stupid as that well, sounds. No, but that's what I was going to ask you because that's what we discussed when we were talking about sensor. The trailer definitely makes it look like you know, that kind of, as you say, John, the quite, quite bang type of horror. And I was wondering if they would do that with these Candyman trailers, because obviously if the film is a wee bit more about social commentary, they're not going to put that in the trailer. No, I, I think the new trailer I went and seen, it really does its got around the social justice element. They've kind of updated the idea of the black man being lynched to right. a very modern setting. Uh, so I'll say if we're kicking too much away, but mm-hmm. it, it, how they tell it in this context of the trail is very, very effective. And you think, yeah, this film could be pretty special, cool. hopefully. Um, because excited to see it. You know, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big Clyde Barker fan, so in bizarre stuff, I've not actually read the original short story, mind you, but it is on the list, like many, many things. So, John, would you recommend this movie? I would actually recommend it. I did enjoy it, so yes, I would recommend it. Mary, despite your misgivings, what's your foot would you say? I only I think it's maybe the first time I've ever said this, but I honestly couldn't encourage someone to go and watch this just because I, I found it too much of a narrative mess and there was points, as I say, where I was actually laughing and I shouldn't have been, so actually it's not going to be a recommend from me. Sorry. Two recommends, one not recommend. I'm also recommending it. This is a movie when I first watched as a very, very young child. It traumatised me. Me and my cousin watched it and we were absolutely terrified. Uh, did you go and do it, it was, though? Did I fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I have not done it to this day. It's just not going to happen. I you do realise it's, was... it's going to be at the start of the podcast. I was probably doing it last week steaming in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why my week's been really bad. <laughs> Drunkenly summoned a demon. <laughs> it's probably not the worst thing I've done. <laughs> yeah, doesn't even make a top ten, does it? Yeah, it's kind of just, just kind of many things. <laughs> yeah, that's us for our Candyman special. The new one is out when? It's very, very soon, isn't it? It's next I week, I believe. I believe yeah. it's next week, next weekend, so maybe. 27th of August? Yeah. Would that be 26, 27th, the end of next week? So we'll be reviewing that when we go and see that. And it'll be interesting to discuss kind of both movies and see how they compare, basically. Yeah, but if you do want to get a hold of us to talk about Candyman or any other horror films or anything you like in general, you can contact us on the all social medias at Instagram. Facebook and Twitter, uh, all at Movie Scramble. And if you'd like to email us in, John, the email address is 
podcast.moviescramble.co.uk. Please get in touch with us. Let us know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast. And we implore you to inform us which movie you would like to see Danny Dyer have retroactively starred in. This, and please tag him in as well. We want Danny Dyer to <laughs> see the love we have for him. That's all for myself. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated, as always. Take care. Bye. Bye.